Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. Growing up in grade school, I never got to participate in this whole thing you've probably seen, at least in movies, or maybe they did it in your school, where the kids brought their fathers and told them, the class, who their dad was. Now, I, I didn't get to do that growing up because Sheldon's experience was like my own. And, uh, and, and he spoke into that so beautifully and the redemption that God's wrought in that so beautifully. Um, and on that note, before I go into this, uh, the, the number one thing psychologists say, like the number one fruit of fatherlessness, whether it's a boy or a girl, is insecurity, right? Insecurity is bred into that void. And, uh, and so insecurity marked my life, right? And this is why the father's assignment today is to pull back the veil on his heart because he wants us, how many know, to be secure. He wants us to be secure. If we don't understand his heart, if we don't understand just how much of a father he is, if there's anything clouding the view we have, by default, insecurity. The Bible says perfect love, love perfected, casts out fear, right? And so he wants to show you and show me fresh today just how perfect his love is and how secure we can be. Um, so anyway, with that being said, I'm going to do what I never got to do in grade school. My name is Jonathan Baldwin, and this is my dad. I think he's the best. <laughs> uh, he's had a lot of names, some that he said and some that others gave to him uh, because he's super old. <laughs> and uh, he's been around forever. Some people have called him the ancient of days. Uh, but if you want to get technical, he's without beginning or end. Uh, they've called him the alpha and the omega. But even that seems to fall short because he has always been there was one guy, you all probably know, sent on a mission to save a whole nation from slavery. And uh, that guy's name was Moses. If you don't know, just, I'm just going to speak to you as though you don't, just in case there's somebody here who doesn't know these stories, okay? So bear with me. Um, and when Moses asked him about his name, God told him to tell the nation that he was being sent to that I am has sent you. I am. And I want to come back to that. That's the most biblic biblically accurate name um, because he always has been and always will be. And there's a huge revelation in the name given to Moses. Uh, and yet, even beyond that, the people that Moses then saved for the generations going forward had tons of names for him. And maybe you guys are familiar with a bunch of these names, but we're going to go over some of them. Adonai, which means Lord. Uh, and he is. Elohim, which means creator, mighty and strong, and he is. El Shaddai, which is God Almighty, the mighty one of Jacob. El Roy is one of my absolute favorites. Do you know who named God El Roy? Or who uh, maybe perceived that God is El Roy? Hagar, 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 yeah. So if you don't know this story, it's important for you to understand this. The name El Roy means the God who sees the God who sees me. And this woman was the bondservant of Abraham and Sarah, and she was used and abused. They were trying to inherit the promise of God in their flesh about having a son, 
and they got into their flesh about it, which is something you don't want to do when you receive a promise from God is try to make it happen in your flesh because you'll end up doing stuff like this. And so he slept with his servant and they conceived a child and it wasn't the child of promise. It was the child of the flesh. And, uh, and to this day, the whole nation of Islam came out of Ishmael that was born there and has persecuted the child of promise, Israel, ever since, right? And a lot of you know that already, but it's just crazy how the impact of that can be. Nevertheless, Hagar, when she went out and was cast out because she was now being, um, having conflict with Sarah, was destitute, had nothing, was now really not because of her own fault at all, being cast away after being used and God saw her and had mercy on her in the middle of the desert and sustained her and the child, Ishmael, and made a promise to them even to make them a great nation. Uh, and so El Roy saw her. Jehovah Jireh, you guys probably know, is provider. Jehovah Rapha is healer. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner, because my father is a mighty, mighty warrior. He's mighty in battle. Jehovah Shalom, another Favorite is peace, the Lord our peace. And so Jehovah is just another way of saying Yahweh, right? And Yahweh is actually my dad. That's his proper name, Yahweh. And it might have been pronounced Yahweh, but we're going to get into that a little bit. Uh, it might not have been pronounced Yahweh. There's loads of theories about it, and there's actually no way to know for certain because there's such a disconnect from the ancient Hebrew when it was actually recorded to now. Um, and so... Even though we have all these names for God, when my big brother, Jesus, came into the earth, he said that Yahweh wants you to call him Father. Because when everyone asked him how to pray, he said, pray like this. And how did he start? Our Father. So how is it that we got so confused if that's how Jesus showed us that we are supposed to interact with God? What happened is the question. And that's what we want to get into today because it's going to answer, I think, some questions and deal with some darkness in our own hearts, even if we don't realize it's there, okay? So this is my favorite thing about my dad is that he wants to be everybody's dad. That's my favorite thing about him is that he's not trying to exclude anyone. And what he does for one, he'll do for any. I've never met anybody like this. I've never known anyone as beautiful and loving as my dad. He wants everyone to know him as Abba Father. I remember the first time that I read Romans 8.15. And it says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I remember reading that for the first time. If I'd read it before, I don't even know. But I was in my, my room in the apartment or the townhouse that I was living in with a bunch of guys at the time, and I just cried and cried because the spirit of adoption laid hold of my heart and bared witness with my heart, my spirit, that I was a child of God. And the fatherlessness void that was in me was suddenly filled, and my heart cried out, Abba, Father. He wants us to know him this way. And so before we even go any further, just pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
for yours is the kingdom, the power, the kingdom, and the glory forever. Amen. And if I mess that up, I'm sorry, but it's okay. We don't need to be perfect. Um, so this is the thing. This is what he wants to deal with. Why not father right from the beginning? Why, why the spirit of adoption? Why is it that we have to go through an adoption? If this was God's will, why do we need to be adopted? Why not be a child right from the onset? Why all this trouble? Why all this suffering? Why all this darkness? Why all this confusion? Did God do it? Or did God sow good seed? And did an enemy do it? Right? Because I am going to prove to you that from the beginning, God was father. You remember how Jesus, when talking about Adam and Eve, he said, uh, they, they, he used Adam and Eve. What was happening was they were asking him about divorce. They said, why, if uh, it's not right for a man to get divorced, because Jesus was saying it isn't, why then did Moses give us the right to divorce? And he said, because of the hardness of your hearts, this law was given, this permission was given, but from the beginning, it was not that way. From the beginning, it wasn't that way. And Jesus came to make things go back to the way they were in the original design, not some weird law in between that will make do. He said, because of the hardness of your hearts, you were given this law. But it was not so from the beginning. And it's just the same thing with Adam. And it's just the same thing I want to show you in this parable, that God sowed good seed. In the beginning, when God made everything, this is the parable that Jesus gives about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And probably you've heard this before. I'm going to go through it quick. He says, a sower went and sowed his seed in a field. And then after it was all sown, he goes in and in the night, an enemy comes and sows weeds into the field, right? Do you guys remember this parable? And then the, the next morning, or the, you know, it was time passes and they look and they see that these weeds are growing up in the field and they actually ask him, didn't you sow good seed? What happened? And he said, I didn't do this. An enemy came and did this. And they said, well, should we tear it up? And he said, no, don't tear it up yet. Because if you do it now, you can't distinguish the difference between what's a weed and what's good wheat. If you tear it up now, you'll abort my purpose before anything has had time to come to fruition. So let them grow up together. And then in the end, when you can distinguish what's what, we'll gather the wheat into my barn and we'll bundle up the weeds and throw them into the fire right? This is the mystery, is that God sowed good seed, and from the beginning, he was always father. And I'm going to prove it really, I don't think I'll read the whole genealogy. I was going to do it just to, just to have fun, because the names are so hard to say. But uh, in Luke 3.23 to 38, you have the genealogy that Luke records. And it's so funny how he starts. In Luke 23, he says, Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. And so if you have ever been hung up on the difference between the genealogy you see in Luke and the genealogy you see in Matthew, the answer is right there. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. Joseph records the lineage, or, or Luke records the lineage according to Joseph's genealogy. Uh, Matthew records the lineage according to Mary's genealogy. So he has uh, in Mary the direct descendants 
um, that way in Matthew, and in Luke, it's this way. So don't let anyone convince you that it's a contradiction in the Bible and that the Bible is flawed and now you don't have to believe in Jesus and now it's all a mess. Like, it's just not that way. Uh, and so I, I was going to do it, but I'll spare you guys. A couple of these are awesome. The son of Heli, the son of Methet, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Melchi, the son of Skazim, Er, Eliezer, Methet, Simeon. All these names, you can look at it for yourself. All the way back, and here's the proof of what we're going into. At the end, in 38, it says the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam. And how does it end? The son of God. When God sowed human, when he created mankind, it was as the son of God. When he created us at first, we were sons and daughters of God. He created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. We were children at first. It was never supposed to be that we weren't children. It was never God's intention. God sowed good seed. The enemy comes and he'll, he'll throw himself a pity party. And he'll be like, well, God is sovereign. Why, why did he allow this? Why did he do that? Why did he do this? Why did he do that? God sovereignly gave him free will. The enemy even. And the enemy came and sowed this corruption into the field. And he gave us free will. It's not against God's sovereignty for him to sovereignly say, this is perfect with its own free will intact. He sowed good seed. The enemy came and corrupted the seed. He corrupted it. Our nature became different. In the beginning, Adam was the son of God. In the beginning, the nature was perfectly the image of God, a child of God. And then when he became corrupted, when he fell, when we fell, he took on a whole new nature, a terrible nature, the nature that we all now identify with, the nature that we all inherit at first, which is sin and death. We literally become the one that we obeyed in the beginning. You, well, listen to this interesting scripture. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod will drive it far from him. It's in Proverbs. So we all know you don't have to teach a kid to be bad. Kids have bad, have foolishness bound up in their hearts, right? And discipline drives it far from them. Do you know what Paul says about this whole thing that we're going through as a creation? We're being disciplined, right? We're being disciplined so that when God restores all things, we'll be like, we're never going back there again. <laughs> never going back there again. Okay, so because of the fall, we have come to see expressions of God that were never designed for us. Check this out. In, uh, in Matthew 25, 41. He says, then he will also say to those on his left, this is Jesus, at the end of the age, after this whole parable comes to full fruition, the wheat in the, uh, the wheat in the chaff. And he says, he will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Not for man. That was never intended for man. We have inherited what the devil's sentence was because we fell and became as he is. We partnered with that spirit of rebellion against God. And so God's nature never changed. Him being father never changed. But our nature changed. And even though he wanted to be father, he no longer was father to us because we were no longer made in his image. 
We were, what does Jesus say to those that were persecuting him? You are of your father, the devil. And we were all, we were all. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. We died spiritually and took on that nature. Yeah. Oh, we're cruising along. Look at that. That's good. We're going to make it. <laughs> yeah. So a veil darkened our understanding. And this is what gets amazing. God's nature never changed. But do you remember when Moses was on the mountain and he came down from the mountain and his face was glowing when he encountered God? But there was a veil over his face because the, the law was darkness that covered the perfect revelation. Moses caught a glimpse of it because he was not afraid to go and encounter God. But the rest of the people said, let us not go up the mountain because we'll die. If we hear this voice anymore, we'll die because their nature was so darkened by sin and death. So this is what brings us back to Moses. And this is where there's this incredible revelation. Even though God's nature hadn't changed and our understanding was what had become darkened, there was a clue even in the very name, the proper name of God, about who he is. And so people say Yahweh. There's nothing wrong with that. It may even have actually been pronounced that way. So if you, again, if you hear people arguing about how to pronounce God's name, or especially if they make a, uh, a case that salvation is dependent on how you say the name of God, dude, flee from a divisive person, right? Like, have nothing to do with that divisive person that has so missed the heart of God, right? It may have been said that way, but there's a lot that is lost in the transliterations. And so this is what we're going to do real quick. This is new for me. I'm going to do some teaching. Yeah. I'm going to hopefully not knock anything over while I do it. Okay. This is going to be fun. This is really cool. Okay. I got a little worksheet here. Like I said, we're doing school. So in Exodus 6, 2 to 3, this is where we first see this name. And it's, uh, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as, to, as God Almighty. But my name, this name Yahweh, by that name I was not known to them. And so we got to talk about this a little bit, just a smidge. I'm going to try to amplify what I've got written here. So some of you have probably seen this, but here is Yod. Hey, I think I can write it right. Yeah, hey, okay. And then Wow, <laughs> if I can say that right. And hey, the name of God, right? Left to right or right to left in Hebrew, right? For us... Transliteration, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, right? We say Yahweh, but a very good argument could be made that um, it, was, it was not pronounced that way. These are all consonants, and maybe some of you have heard this before, but if you were to just read this as is, the consonants sound like aspiration sounds, like breathing sounds. So you could make a good case to say that this name the name that God was revealing to Moses sounds like <sighs> every baby born is declaring the name of God, right? 
two, I think it's, what, 20,000-something times a day? Is that right? I probably wrote it down, which would be beneficial. Yeah. I don't want to tell you a wrong thing. Um, yeah, 22,000 times a day. Everybody is declaring the name of God. And, and, and everyone's last breath, they are declaring the name of God. Right? The consonant sounds. Now, there is a reason I think that this is a sound theory. It's not just like, oh, isn't that a nice thought? But it's a stretch. There is really, really, really good reason to think that this is absolutely 100% the case. Okay? First of all, this right here is very interesting. Before we go any farther, this, every Hebrew name is a word. Okay? For example, Adam. What is Adam? Does anybody know? Man. It's literally the word, the Hebrew word for man. He was called Adam, but he literally was saying, this is, this is man. <laughs> right? This right here, HWH, actually means exists, or to, it's a verb. It means to exist. You can't see if I write like that. Jeez, come on now. Yeah. To exist. To exist and why is actually, if we were to put it in our language, is, is he. So what this essentially says in the name is he exists. What he was saying to Moses, I am that I am. I exist and I cause to exist. Right? I am the everlasting one. So you see an aspect of his nature, just like all the other names of God are revealing an aspect of his nature. But he said, man, this is my proper name right? They didn't know me by this name. This is my proper name. It's almost the same way if, if I were with my kids, right? And I want to, and they said, my kids have asked me, what is your name? I say, because sometimes they didn't even know for years, right? Johnny, Jonathan. But what do I want them to call me? Dad. I actually, I have nearly disciplined my children for trying to call me Johnny or Jonathan. I don't know if anybody else has felt that way, but it's like, I am not Johnny or Jonathan. I am dad, right? Here's the thing. We no longer, in this covenant, a veil is darkening the reality of who God is because we have changed. Not because God has changed. We no longer are children. We have become slaves. This will blow your mind. I used to think Romans 8.15 saying you have no longer been given a spirit of fear that makes you a, a, a spirit of uh, being a bond slave, being a slave. Not a spirit of fear, but the spirit of adoption. I used to think that it was like, yes, rebuke the devil spirit of fear. How many actually think that? Just be honest. I, I used to think that that was it. Do you know what he's saying? You have not been given the spirit of fear like when they saw him on the mountain and they were too afraid to go up and talk to him. Because they weren't sons, they were slaves. The law made them slaves. The covenant that God wants to establish with us makes us children, but the law makes you a slave. It's terrifying because no one can keep the law because your old nature will not permit you to keep the law, right? So you've not been given a spirit of fear, but you've been given a spirit of adoption. And so anyway, this is where it gets really, really interesting. Then the word for name... In Hebrew, I'm going to get down low here, is Shem. I don't know how to write it in Hebrew because I didn't memorize that part. 
but I do know how to transliterate Shem. And, uh, and so this is where the whole, the breathing sound, I think that this is beyond theory. I would posit, and I can't say for certainty because I know people will call me a heretic for adding to the Bible or something. But, uh, but I feel quite certain that the right way to understand that is the breathing. And, and this is why. The name, so Shem is how you say name in Hebrew. It's the root word of, how do you say that one? Uh, it's the root word of Neshema. So you get Neshema, but it's spelled like this, I think. Yeah, Neshema, Neshema. So <laughs> I think it's Ne. There you go, Neshema. So Shem is name. It's the root word of this, Neshema. Do you know what Neshema means? Anybody perchance? Any scholars in the room? I'm not. I just, I literally just looked this up. Neshema <laughs> means breath. So name is the root word of the Hebrew word for breath. And Neshema is the word that you find in Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So God, by his name and his nature, here's something super special that you guys, I don't know if you've heard this before. When... When they say breath in the ancient Hebrew language, it's more than just the air you breathe in and breathe out. It is your character and your nature. It is your spirit. So is it a coincidence that God's name sounds like breathing, that God's character, his spirit, this everlasting, always existing, he exists this nature is the very nature that he breathed into Adam when he first made him, right? Because in Genesis 2, 7, it is Neshema. He breathed into Adam the, the breath of life. He became a living being. He exists and he causes to exist. And that's the end of the worksheet part. So now that we got that foundation laid, uh, what happened then? We all know the story. Adam became a living being. He was a son of God, but then the devil came. He deceived Adam and Eve, and they fell, and they took on a whole new nature. And so it is so amazing to me that after God breathes into Adam and he fell, when he brought redemption through Jesus, do you remember when Jesus went to his disciples and breathed on them? So God wants to reveal the Father he chose to reveal his perfect will, his heart, in the Son. So Jesus comes, the express image of the invisible God, and he breathes on his disciples just like God breathed on Adam in the beginning because it was the beginning of round two. Jesus is called the second Adam, right? He is the seed of eternal life sown into the world. And so I, I wouldn't want to... I don't want to jump ahead. There's one thing left here. Okay, so Philip. And I know I've talked about this a lot, a lot in other times. Philip, he says what the whole world says. He says, show us the Father and that's enough for us, right? And Jesus says, from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Have you been with me so long and you don't yet know him, right? So Jesus comes and he unveils the perfect will of the Father. 
And so Jesus had shown the provision, the healing, the mercy, and the love, and the nature of the Father all that time. But when he arrived on the scene here, he had one last task as a son being perfected, the Bible says. Do you know that the Bible says that Jesus was perfected? Doesn't it sound almost blasphemous? Because wasn't Jesus perfect, right? Jesus was perfect, and yet it's Hebrews 5, 8 to 9. I don't know. I didn't write that one down. Do you have that one up there? Hebrews, yes. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And then 9, and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Right? So Jesus, of course, he was perfect and spotless and sinless, but he took on our nature so that he could perfect the way back to the Father. So Jesus had shown that provision, right? And so in John 17, 5, I don't know if you have that one up there because I also didn't write that one down. Yes. And now, O Father, you remember when Jesus said this? And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. You remember when they went to stone Jesus? You know why they went to stone Jesus? Because he said, before Abraham was, I am. He called himself by the name. (laughs) So again, if anybody wants to say, well, Jesus never made himself out to be God. You'll find in, in Islam in particular, they make that argument a lot. But Jesus clearly said, I am. Before Abraham was, you can't confuse that. There's no getting around that. Before Abraham was, I am. And that is the very reason they picked up stones to kill him. If it wasn't what it sounds like, they wouldn't have picked up stones to kill him, right? But he said, Father, glorify me together with the glory I had with you in the beginning. And remember, I think it was uh, 12... I think it's in 12. Yeah, John 12, 32. He said, if I am lifted up, I draw all men unto myself. He was in this moment, all the while he had been revealing God in him by the good works that he had done. But he was about to fully unveil the heart of the Father. And when I think of this, I see, I can't help it, I see Superman ripping off his business clothes and unveiling the yes. You know what I mean? In this moment, Jesus had taken on the nature of a, a servant. He'd taken on our, our humanity. But he was God in the flesh. He is the word made flesh dwelling among us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And in this moment, he's like, I've shown you, Philip, you have seen. So don't any longer say that you haven't seen. And if you read into what he's saying here, he's essentially saying there's one last thing that I'm going to do that's going to fully reveal the heart of the Father. Glorify me together with yourself, Father, with the glory I had with you in the beginning. I am about to show the nature, the spirit, the name, the character. I'm about to fully display the character of God. I've been doing it all this time. You've seen it in healing the sick, the way that I've loved people. I've washed your feet but I'm about to show it to you in unhindered glory. You're about to see the heart of the Father. This was Jesus going to the cross. He said, if I'm lifted up, then I will draw all men unto myself, right? And so the Father was perfectly revealed in the Son. And so go back and consider all the names, right? All the names of God. When Jesus was on the cross, we see 
the names all falling under the Father revealed in the Son. And he says, uh, where is it, the first one? Adonai, which means Lord, and he obviously was. But El Roy, the God who sees me, he's the one who comes after the one and leaves the 99. Jehovah Jireh, the provider. Jehovah Rapha, the healer. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner, because he was going to war with hell for us, and he's a mighty warrior. So all of the names, all of these things which were only seen behind the veil in the law because we had fallen and couldn't see God explicitly the way that he wanted to be seen anymore were being fully realized and revealed in the Son once and for all. So Jesus lets the light, that's why he's called the light of the world. The veil, remember they say the veil was torn in his flesh. The veil is taken away. Now, when we look at Jesus, we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So we are not slaves to fear anymore because we've been given the spirit of adoption that came when Jesus ascended to the Father and sent that spirit, the breath, the name, the nature, the character of God. He released the name, nature, character of God back into you so that you're no longer a slave, but you're once again son and daughter of God. And if you look at Jesus Christ, and I say this every time I get up here, it's the only message I've got. I was joking about this with my wife. It's the only one I've got. Looking at Jesus Christ, you see the Father. And just imagine, like, so now if you recognize that, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What he said to Philip, now you do know him. And after this, henceforth, when I go, no longer say you don't know him because I'm showing you and I want you to tell everybody else. You remember what Philip went on to do. He was translated. He was evangelizing. He was ministering. He took the word to heart. Now, I will no longer say that I don't know him because I do know him. How do I know him? Because when I looked at Jesus, I saw the Father doing this. They have to die. Sin has laid hold of all these people that were my children. But I don't want that. I am a perfect judge. There's all these things that I am that I really never intended for them to see. I don't want to send people to hell. What do we do? I'll show up. Jesus shows up, embodying the Father, and he says, I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to do it. And he takes off his robe. He washes the feet, which is just a sign of him laying down his body. What did he say? This is my body broken for you. The Father manifested himself in the son, and he said, I'm going to pay it. I'm the provider. He said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to heal you. By his stripes, we're healed. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's Jehovah Rapha. He's going to war for us and triumphed, right? And so the father was perfectly revealed in the son. This is what's interesting, and I'm going to get past this uh, because this is the hang-up that I think so many of us have. When Jesus was, was in his ministry, do you remember when John was in prison, he sent, where he sent to ask, he said, are you the one that we expected to come, or is there another? He was so sure when he saw the, the Spirit of God descend like a dove on Jesus at first, right? He was so sure. That's the one. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But then later he was in prison, and he goes... Can you guys go and ask him if he's the one? Because this was not what I expected. This is not going as planned. Because uh, this is the guy. But now I'm insecure. 
right? What did Jesus send back? The word that he sent back. Tell him that the, the blind see, the deaf speak, the dead are raised. Tell him that. And then say to him, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Because of what I'm not doing. So here's the thing. God has come to us, the light of the world. He's met us in the middle of our darkness. Sometimes we can be so offended by unmet expectations that we perceive as shortcomings in how God ministers his provision that we harden our hearts against how he is ministering to us in presence. Right? Yes. And you can miss Jesus, God with you, present with you, because of the offense of what you expect that's supposed to look like. And the seal of this is revealed in the two thieves on the cross. So you've got these two men that represent all of us, every single one of us, both condemned to die. Both condemned to die because they were thieves, right? This is the whole world, a picture of the whole world. So you've got one who's sitting there, and what does he say to Jesus? He says, if you are the son of God, get us all off these crosses and prove it. And he is entitled, and he doesn't recognize Jesus. He doesn't recognize God, Emmanuel, in the flesh, on the cross there with him. Because he's so offended, because he thinks he deserves to be taken out of the hard situation that he's brought upon himself. Right? The other, and you guys know this, but just consider. The other says, how could you talk to him like that? Don't you see that this man doesn't deserve to be here with us? The other fully recognizes. This is crazy. Like, this, this person should not be here. And he discerns that this is Emmanuel, God with us. He has a revelation. I deserve to be here. That guy deserves to be here. But this, this is an anomaly. This is alien. There is some kind of invasion taking place right here. And he says... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus say back to him? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Yes. So not only does the man receive the comfort of the presence of God in the middle of the sentence that he's walking through, but he receives eternal life. So likewise for us, we need to be careful not to get so offended by what we expect or think that God is not doing, that we don't perceive God right here with us in the middle of the sentence that we're walking out, right? It doesn't make him any less of a father that he hasn't delivered us from every sorrow. What makes him a good father is that he's present in our sorrow. So don't be discouraged that there's things that we all have to walk through in this life in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. He's overcome the world. And this is the, the, the conclusion of all this. I, I want to exhort fathers, but this is for everyone. This is not just for men and not just for fathers. This is for all of us. In the beginning, God made Adam in his image. So he's come to restore that image through Jesus Christ. But it's not just, as we've just seen, to deliver us from every sorrow and make us rich and famous and all this stuff. It's that we would have his nature 
on the inside. Yeah. That perfect love would cast out fear. That we would know we have the one who exists. Yeah. The everlasting father yeah. present with us. And it's not just so that we can have that and be like, okay, so yeah, I have a good father. We started off talking about how insecurity is the direct result of fatherlessness. So when the father comes and brings his presence and we have the everlasting father, we are meant to be so secure, so secure in that love because perfect love casts out fear. And so when you are going through any kind of thing, what does John say in that same bit there? He says, because fear involves punishment. So when you're going through things, this is where the God is like, please see my heart. When you're going through things, don't look at the Father like, how could you let this happen? Thinking that maybe he's punishing you. Yeah. We, we, we go through it with the confidence that he has also gone through these things with us. Yeah. And perfect love yeah. makes us oh so secure. Is there a single one of the disciples that just got rich and famous and spared every sorrow? No. no. If it's not true, on the other side of the world, where children are being killed because they believe in Jesus, then it's not true at all. If the gospel doesn't make sense for them, then it can't be said to be true. If God's only desire, and don't get me wrong, he has good in his heart for you, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But at the end of the day, it's just not about being spared from every hardship. And so for me, coming full circle with this, and this is the exhortation to fathers as we wrap it up, I, I, I am repenting publicly now because when I began my 40-day fast, I knew that it was about conforming to the image of Christ. But there was a whole bunch in me that thought, surely that is synonymous with the next level of ministry. And in a way it is. But I had a natural mindset about what that might look like, okay? And so as I started into the fast, this is what the Lord said to me. I was actually, when the whole thing started, I was walking circles around this sanctuary on a Saturday, just praying. And my heart was so riddled with, with all kinds of garbage, just so distracted by the things of the flesh. And I started walking around the sanctuary, praying in the Holy Ghost. Probably, I think I probably prayed for four hours that day. And I'm not saying that to sound spiritual. I'm just saying this was, I was pressing into the Lord. And I had three visions over the course of that whole time. In the first, I saw traffic moving back and forth in front of me very quickly. And then, you know, time passed. And then the next thing I saw was the Lord himself. He was standing in front of me and he was going like this. And then the last thing I saw at the very end was a tombstone and it had flowers on the top of it. And once I got all the pieces, the still small voice had this message. He said, you are concerned about many, many things. Only one thing is needed. That is that you would pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Die to yourself. Because whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Right? And so this is the exhortation is that God's got one thing on his heart for us fathers. And again, this is for everybody, but to us fathers. Sometimes we have these, and this is the point of this. Under the curse, we strive because we think, I'm not successful until X, Y, Z. I have to make this amount of money. I have to have this kind of career. I have to have this kind of influence. It's got to be all these things. But the father is like, you know what I want more than anything? You're concerned about all these things. I want one thing. 
I want you to come back to taking my nature on. I want you to look like me. I want you to sound like me. I want you to act like me. And I'm not expecting that you'll deliver everyone with a, a million bucks of provision or necessarily even, don't get me wrong, God does heal. He does provide all those things. Don't get me wrong. But when we idolize those things, we are offended that he doesn't do some of those things sometimes. And then we walk away from the gospel. And he doesn't want us to lose him because of the offense. And so when we, we put those things where they belong and then we take on his nature and that becomes the most important thing because what his nature wants to do through you men is husbands love your wife as Christ loves the church. She doesn't need you to, to pour my wife bears witness. She cried the other day as I was receiving all of this in my own heart as he was, it's crazy that it took 40 days of fasting to get this. You know what I'm saying? That's how obstinate our flesh is. I'm so determined to strive. I'm so determined to become this and be that and do this. Even in the name of Christianity, right? I was up here repenting for it the other day. I had to do serious warfare with my own flesh just so I could have my eyes open enough to catch a glimpse because I'm not done with the process yet to say, oh my gosh, God doesn't care about any of that. He wants me to love my wife. He wants me to be present with my children. Not that I would have an answer to every one of their problems, but that I would be with them in the middle of their problems. Yeah. Right? And he will pour provision through and he will answer prayers. There will be miracles. But if we're not about the ministry of his presence more than the ministry of his provision, we will fall away. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't think I have anything else to say about that. Yeah. But... We, yeah, we gotta, I got to let you guys go. I want to honor your time. Um, there are things that, that can stop us. And, and so, Juliana said this, and it's so important to include it at the end here. Um, her dad took his own life when she was 13 years old because of the idols. Riddled with depression, right? And I'm not condemning the man. Actually, God gave her a dream. I think he is actually in heaven. I think he was misled. But I think that he repented at the end of his life, even as he was taking his own life. Um, and that's a whole nother thing, a whole nother theological conversation. But in the dream, her father came up to him in white and got down before her and said, I'm so sorry. He kneeled before her and said, I'm so sorry. And then later on, she was at, uh, was it YWAM? Or, or a ministry of training of some sort, DTS? And, uh, and during one of the meetings there, a pastor came up to her, having no idea of that dream and the process, and said, I just feel I need to do this. And he got on his knees in front of her and said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And the father, the spirit of adoption, was dealing with the offense of the natural so that he could make space for himself as the father who will not fail, the father who will not leave, the father who is an everlasting father. And so I just need to say this because she said it and it's so profound and true. She in that moment was able, empowered to forgive her natural father so that she could receive the presence of her heavenly father in a deeper way. So today I invite you by the power of the Holy Spirit to forgive the offenses of your natural father, the absence, the abuse, 
Because without forgiveness, Jesus said it himself. He said, if you don't forgive those who sin against you, your Father in heaven can't forgive you either, won't forgive you either. Because at the end of the day, every abuse was heaped upon Jesus. And he embodied the penalty for every shortcoming in sin. And so today, if that's you, why don't you just come up? I want to pray for you. If there's any other people um, for prayer that can pray with people, we want to pray with you. That you would be able to move past the offense. And even if it's not that, uh, even if you just have been pricked in your heart, you, you know you want to know this Father better. Just come forward and let us pray for you. And you just need to know that Jesus is the light of the world. And if you want to get a good glimpse of who God is, you will always look back to Jesus. The one who knew no sin, yet he became sin for us. He took responsibility for the creation. And I'm just going to say this, this might sound super weird, but even the injustice of like little children, so interesting. This has to be for somebody. Little children losing their lives, miscarriages, abortions, famine, war crimes, all these things. You remember when Jesus, again, this is going on a limb theologically, but I think there's a good case for it. And I think the Lord wants to encourage someone's heart. You remember when the Lord said, don't hinder the little children, let them come to me. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. He said, unless you're converted and become like a little child, you will by no means inherit the kingdom of heaven. I am persuaded not just by scripture like those, but by testimonies that I've heard of people that I've been linked up with both in the church and testimonies that I've heard just online, that the little children, they are caught up in the mercy of Jesus. And they are at the right hand of the Father. He said, their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. If you are hurting and have offense with God because of a lost child, because of uh, a, a miscarriage, an abortion, uh, anything, because of those things that have come upon the world through sin and death, you have to know that justice is embodied in Jesus Christ and that I, I am fully persuaded myself, and you could do your own research if you need to, but I'm fully persuaded that those little ones are with God. There's a, I wanna share this last testimony about that so you know why I think that. We had a little kid on a water slide down uh, at, at, a, at a park somewhere, back at the church I was at in Ohio. Somewhere from the top of the slide to the bottom, he passed away. Got stuck in the slide and drowned. And my pastor at the time, Pastor Lenny, who's praying, this man, they've seen miracles, right? They, they went and I think they were in Romania when they saw kids getting healed in the hospital, stuff like that. And, uh, and he's praying and the child doesn't come back. And he says, I don't know what else to say, but I feel like I hear in my spirit that, the, that the, he doesn't want to come back. A little while later, the mom has a dream that I believe was, there, there's some things only the Holy Spirit can bring comfort to, right? People's words are meaningless, but the Spirit of God can bring real comfort. And she has this dream. She sees her son, and he's surrounded by these animals. And he's saying, Mom, the animals, the animals, you have to see, right? And so... I am fully persuaded that the little ones are with Jesus. So God, just thank you for ministering your healing right now. In Jesus' name, let all those who need healing come forth. All those who need a touch from the Father come forth in Jesus' name.
Thanks, Johnny. Let's, let's stand together this morning. And I'm just going to ask our uh, staff guys if you will come up and pray. Um, Kelly, Gary, would you come as well? We won't have all our regular prayer team. I really feel like today it's important that the men are praying. So just be prepared for that. Um, any of our other men that are on prayer ministry, if you're available. But we're not, uh, we're not poking into anything. It's that the Holy Spirit is opening our hearts to be able to receive the healing that is necessary. And um, some of you even as dads, as sons, you might, you might need somebody to pray for you. Come to the front. But daughters, sisters, wives, mothers, brothers, whoever, if that, if it's been stirring in your heart today, I, I came across an email. Um, there's a coffee company, company that I subscribe to and they sent out an email earlier this month and it, it actually, cause you know, we get emails every two weeks or whatever. And it, it actually said, we know that Father's Day is difficult for many. If you would rather not receive any notifications from us in this season, you can opt out until after Father's Day. We don't want to stir up any pain for anybody. And I thought, how, how noteworthy that a commercial company sees so much pain that they actually adjust their advertising to avoid it. Considering we were all created and made for a good, good father. So the enemy of our soul has wreaked havoc over century upon century upon century. And the Lord, I believe, wants to heal things today. I, I'm so proud of our team. I'm so proud of our guys. You know, we've got, we've got young men in the house who are serving, who are good dads, not always having experienced fully what they would have liked to, but they're good dads and, um, and ministering out of that. And it's proof to me that we can get past it, that God wants to pull us past it. And the reminder today, and thank you for this, Jonathan, the, you know, every breath that we're breathing is the reminder that he exists and he is good. So I wanna pray just over us in general, and then I'll, I'm gonna ask guys if you would just pray and just begin to bless and as the Lord leads you in prayer today. But God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for stripping back the veil today and revealing yourself to us through firstly, your son, Jesus. We thank you for what we, we know to be true. We thank you for the crucifixion. We thank you for the death and the resurrection. We thank you for the gift of being able to be brought back to that place of being sons and daughters of God, no longer slaves, no longer bound, no longer separated, but God, we can know you and we can know you well. We can live in the fullness of who you are as our Father. And God, I thank you for revealing as well through your sons today, even on this stage, men who have experienced your love, men who have experienced your open-hearted welcome, men who have experienced your kindness and what it's like to live with you in the midst of things. And Lord, today we put a draw on that. And God, I pray that this would be a day of transformation for your people.
Lord, any residue of pain, any residual stuff from uh, earthly experiences, God, even with father figures, we thank you that today you're providing healing. And God, I thank you for the reminder as well that even when things don't go perfectly for us, we, we cannot live in offense and missed expectation because of what you haven't done. But God, we honor who you are and that you are with us in it, that you walk with us through the fire and we are not burned. You walk with us through the flood and we are not overwhelmed. God, I thank you that you take us through the valley of the shadow of death and we fear no evil. God, today I pray a release of the heart of the Father in this house today, that there would be once and for all healing to hearts, God. Places where there's brokenness, places where there's wounding, places, places where there's pain. God, I thank you that today, perfect love comes in and washes over every space, God. I thank you that you restore and you heal and you breathe your life in us and through us. We receive it today, God, and even as we release forgiveness where necessary, where we walk away from judgment where necessary, God, where we even get right with you where necessary, I thank you that today is a transformation day and we choose you. We honor you, Father God, and we thank you for your presence with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach, teach, mobilize.